This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Discover Zayo's expansive network maps on their website and see where their network can take you. With low latency, reliable 400 gig and 800 gig enabled routes, it's the modern network solution you've been searching for. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today I have a special guest. His name is Raju Maholtra, and he's the chief product and technology officer at a little company called Par Technology. Now, you listening might have never heard of this, P-A-R. Maybe you even think it's about golf, but it's not about golf. It's actually about restaurants. And you might be thinking, oh, they must be small, maybe some SMB business. No, this company's huge, publicly traded, over a billion dollars of market cap, and you've definitely heard of their customers. So Raju, I got to ask you, what is Part Technology? What does it do? And why do your customers invest in you? Yeah, absolutely. Great to be here, uh, Albert. Uh, Par provides hardware and software solutions for multi-unit restaurant chains and convenience stores. Uh, so if you've ever walked into Five Guys, Sweet Greens, Papa John's, Smoothie King, Tropical Smoothie, you actually have seen one of our products in action. And given we are a B2B to C company, you probably haven't heard the word PAR, as you said, but uh, you obviously have heard the uh, brand names that we work with on a daily basis. So give us an idea of what this does, because I think a lot of us might be familiar with some of your um, some of the other businesses in the industry that do similar things. Uh, we talked about before we started the show, like, hey, a lot of times, for example, if I go to a small coffee shop, I'll recognize the terminal. I'll recognize the name. I'll know who's doing it. Uh, I've, you know, just to name a few, like Toast and Square, like different little restaurants use those. But big companies choose you for a different reason. Give us an idea. Why, what makes your system different and why do the big companies want to use PAR? First part of this is that is a enterprise expectation for scalability, for robustness, uh, and in a very simple way, translates into it not only should work in one unit, it should really work in 10,000, 50,000 locations. And also remember, restaurant industry is the number one private employer. You know, 12 million plus Mm -hmm. people working here and there's a high level of attrition. So the technology not only has to work across you know, tens of thousands of location, it actually should be very easy to use by the employees in the restaurants who are, who are actually using it. So so really when it comes down to uh, the scale, all the way from payment processing, taking orders, uh, to managing the kitchen operations, loyalty program, uh, we do that in a way which is very easy. And that's why the big restaurant chains, in fact, seven out of top 10 restaurant chains uh, use power technology. So to give everyone in the audience a, a little flavor, some of the, if you go to a small business, maybe a small restaurant, like a cafe, the system you're looking at might do maybe some checkout and some rewards, but PAR does it all from payroll, inventory, supply chain, accounting, point of sale. And we've had some, I've personally have had some uh, experience with multi-chain locations and I understand the complexity that each unit is its own business but then it all has to roll up to a region or a territory. And then that's got to roll up, of course, to HQ. Uh, some of the businesses you named are franchises, and that means they're going to be franchises plus corporate mix. Give us an idea for someone listening who might not be familiar with the business problem, just some of the technological or operational challenges that your software has to kind of solve for. I just want our audience to get a scope of like, 
it's not just a little terminal. Yeah. It's more than that. <laughs> you're absolutely right. It's not just a terminal. And I'll give you a very simple uh, example. Say you're standing in a restaurant trying to place your order and uh, the Wi-Fi somehow goes off. Now, this is really a mission critical requirement for a restaurant to be able to take orders, process the payment, because most other uh, competitors that are in the space, they require a Wi-Fi or network availability all the time. What we actually uh, do in this case is we maintain a local cache. We can take your orders, mm. process your payment, and when the connection is back online, we can actually you know, send that to the cloud for uh, reconciliation at that time. Now, that sounds like a very simple you know, thing, and it may not be a requirement for a single unit uh, restaurant, but this is absolutely one of the key areas where the enterprise level restaurants and the franchisees really have to rely on something that works regardless of network availability, regardless of uh, if the employees don't show up uh, on time, regardless of, I think, how uh, the easy or difficult the loyalty program is for the guest's perspective. So the franchisee model actually introduces some unique complexities in the business, as you can imagine. Uh, if this was all a corporate-owned, you know, thousands of locations, you can roll out technology as a IT deployment. Uh, but with the franchisee, you have to get their permission. You have to convince them that this is valuable for you. And in fact, oftentimes they have to pay into this technology. So it's a much higher bar for adoption. Uh, so it doesn't have to just work. It actually has to be essential for their operations. And that's where we come in and help the franchisees and corporate locations uh, solve the problems of all the way taking an order in person, online, at a kiosk, through a website, through the app, and then processing that uh, all the way, sending it to the kitchen, doing the back office operations. And if it's a loyalty customer, giving them the awards and really kind of you know use that as a constant engagement to bring the customers back in the store and really kind of have that uh, ongoing uh, engagement with those guests. You hit a, on an interesting point because as you know, might know, our current season is being sponsored by Zao, a networking solutions provider. And when you deal with these restaurants and franchisees and operations, their businesses are in every technical type of territory you can imagine. They're not just in big cities. They are, as Raju just said, they're in small towns, they're in small cities. They might be in limited infrastructure, limited uh, maybe skill at the regional area. There's all types of challenges. You mentioned just a moment ago, this franchisee model, which by the way, we, we sold software into franchises and we had a little solution. We were going to charge $5 per location and the franchisees voted it down. And I talked, I got to talk to a franchisee and they said, um, we just about vote everything down because we never want to open the door for corporate to be able to insert more things because it's not just the thing. It's more like a principle. Like you can't tell me what to buy. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know how anything gets done. <laughs> and, and so they were introducing that complexity. But you know, when, the way you described it, so the, your technology, you have to be Basically, it sounds like almost infrastructure agnostic. Is that right? Like meaning, like if I'm a if I'm a if I'm the HQ of a chain, and I who you you have no idea where I'm going to expand. You just don't. I can expand wherever I want. So I'm, I'm assuming you just you have to build your technology, be infrastructure agnostic. Hey, I don't care what you have. We can be we can fit. We can, and I would say we work very closely with the corporate and also the franchisee groups as they scale. So oftentimes they do have plans. Yeah. They have you know multi year plans for testing a technology in a new area, 
putting some new uh, technology and then expanding uh, across different sort of, you know, geos or uh, functionality. So we work very closely with them. That's the thing. There's a lot of predictability they expect. There's a lot of transparency in communication. And you're right in your example, you know, by default, we expect a no. So that means the bar is very high to really be transparent with them why certain things are going to be valuable. And so the answer can go from no to yes. And it has to be kind of, you know, valuable. But we work with them as part of planning uh, over time. And I wouldn't say it's infrastructure agnostic. I mean, that's a little bit of a tricky thing because uh, we can't be everything to everyone uh, all the time. If we really sure. want to be good at some things, we, we pick our battles uh, and we take that very seriously. Uh, we have requirements for when we actually uh, will work the best. That's the environment. And we work with the franchisee and the corporate offices to create that environment, uh, to enable them, train them, roll those uh, implementations out, uh, and, and then they can utilize the full value of their investment. So this is where I want to dive into like the how, because this is where things are going to get really interesting. So now that we've kind of painted up the scale of the challenge in front of you, Give us an idea of how this works because PAR has its own hardware devices, which is smart because then that helps you know that the software can run on the hardware. There's more predictability. It's not like, uh, you know, you're not supporting like web browsers, you know, like there's a lot of compatibility problems, <laughs> but it also introduces this the same problem, which is like certain restaurants are going to upgrade at certain times, which means you have to keep reverse compatibility for quite some time. Give us an idea because you have the hardware component and the software component. For most of our listeners, I think they only do one or the other. I don't know very many companies that do both. You're doing both. How is your team structured? How do you think about making technological investments, decision-making into features and so on? This is a this is where things get really exciting. Yeah. Let's start there. Yeah. How do you guys decide to, what to build? Yeah. So- I think on a very simple basis, it's about what is the solution that we're trying to deliver that solves the problem at three levels. And I'll give you a very quick uh, sort of overview of top three things that almost every CIO I speak with cares about. Number one, they care about guest engagement. Second, they care about their employees. As I mentioned, they have, you know, this is the largest employer, private employer. And third is they care about kitchen operations. That's Think of a kitchen as a mini factory and except that this factory is, you know, there are thousands and thousands of those locations. It's not as automated. A lot of people doing a manual stuff, but it's really kitchen operations is, is really a factory. So how we think about our solution from a hardware or software perspective is really thinking about what is the best way that the guests can engage at the point of sale level, in store, through the app, loyalty, payment system, etc. And then what type of tools are going to be needed at the employee level to deliver that experience, right, from a guest perspective? Because it's not just about delivery of food, it's the overall experience. And then how do we scale uh, the kitchen operations and delivery of that food directly online through third-party delivery providers? So you have to keep all of those things in mind. And I would say uh, one thing which is very important uh, for our business, but probably for any technology business, is to be opinionated about what is the right solution you have learned works, you know, thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of locations. And being opinionated actually is very important. And we come in with our learnings with, uh, you know, hundreds of brands that we work with and actually bring that to uh, the software as a service and hardware 
and our partnerships that we have. We have over 500 partners that we can bring in. So the goal is to hide that complexity from our customer, but still provide that solution. And uh, that's where uh, we come in and actually really start thinking about, here is the you know, menu of options for you. Here is what we recommend in our experience that seems to work, but we also give you flexibility. Uh, how much of this you wanna consume from PAR versus how much you wanna uh, use from a different provider because in an enterprise company you have to recommend you have to respect the heterogeneity and the choice that CIOs have at the end of the day so it's a very complicated solution from a CIO or customer perspective but we make it simple uh, through a playbook that we have learned over the time give us an idea of you mentioned this opinion you you know you have to have an opinionated point of view uh, I'm assuming it's got to come from always always from an experienced based uh, or experience basis. Give us an idea of something that your opinion swayed a customer, whether it was technology or implementation of a technology, because look, there's new chains all the time that are expanding. And, you know, there's, there might, there's probably one right now that we don't even know about that's going to get to a thousand locations in the next five years. You know, we just don't know who they are. When you meet with that CIO, when you meet with that CEO and they're sitting down across the table from you and they're saying, this is what we want to do. And you're like, hey, but wait a second. <laughs> Give us an idea of how these discussions can get swayed because I'm sure you have a, tremendous stories of successful implementations as well as, you know, whether it's with PAR or another vendor, like things that didn't work nearly as good. Yeah. So one example, really think about a, every brand now has uh, a app online experience or app or a loyalty program. And uh, three out of five uh, US adults use a PAR-powered loyalty program. And of course, as a B2BC, they don't know this is actually PAR providing that loyalty program, but it's really, you know, we're delivering it through the brand. And one of the interesting things that may be very non-intuitive for folks who are not in this business is that loyalty points, think of them as a monetizable currency. And anytime you have money, mm-hmm. it attracts fraud. People would go and try to steal those points, trade them, and actually take some uh, nefarious uh, fraudulent activities. So what we've done you know, over time, uh, we've actually identified a number of device fingerprinting mechanisms that we recommend that, uh, hey, even if you're building your own loyalty app. We're not asking you to build, you know, use power for building your loyalty app. We're going to recommend to you use uh, this device fingerprinting software uh, and we can give you a couple of options. We don't have a vested interest in those partners, but do that as opposed to not doing anything at all because then you're actually risking your guests losing potentially uh, the loyalty points and creating a dissatisfaction for your brand. So that's where I think the opinionated point of view comes in where we can say, you know what, we're not necessarily the ones who will do this for you. We're not in the device fingerprinting or cybersecurity or some other sort of area or network uh, availability, but we recommend that you actually do this and here is a checklist of things that you should do. And that that's what I mean by being opinionated. And I would say almost every uh, customer that we talk to uh, takes us up on those uh, recommendations because they see this is valuable for them. And they also sometimes have suffered through the credential stuffing or some kind of uh, uh, fraudulent activities as their loyalty program takes off. So they, they basically take, up, take us up on their recommendation. So that, that's one example of uh, being opinionated and really helping our 
customers uh, do the thing that is right for their business. That is fascinating. I never really thought about my rewards points at a chain getting stolen or abused or <laughs> or or uh, faked. You know what I mean? Like someone could somehow hack the app and load up, I don't know, million points and then get free meals for whatever period of time. Uh, it is not something I even thought about. <laughs> I'm sure you guys have other stories that kind of hint at this. When it comes to like building the features, how do you guys go about building these building these things? Because I know you have different customers. They all have similar requirements, but I'm sure each of them also has unique things that they want from you. And so you're thinking, you know, I'm going to put words in your mouth, but you have to think baseline, is this good for all my customers? And then, then can I support it across all my devices that I have uh, in, in the ecosystem? How do you decide what to build? Because I'm sure some people ask you things that probably aren't that good. <laughs> you don't have to tell me what they are, yeah. but, but give us an idea. How do you make that decision? This is, we're going to build yeah. this and all of our customers are going to benefit from it. Really at the end of the day, this is about what the market, you know, really cares about and where the puck is moving. A lot of times I think there's a risk in having uh, customer research or market research and taking the wrong conclusions out of that because customers have problems today or they have had problems in the past. We want to solve them. But we also want to solve the problems that are actually uh, going to become opportunities or problems going forward. So very simple mechanism is we do a lot of customer uh, advisory boards, a lot of customer research. Uh, we have products which are instrumented. Uh, we use a lot of instrumentation within the software as a service products where we know which areas our customers or users actually are struggling with. If it takes them a very lo you know, long time to accomplish a task, we obviously know there's a problem. So we're getting a population level, sample level, objective, subjective uh, feedback from the customers. And really then we have a number of uh, themes that we think are going to be very important as a company for us to solve. Uh, and then we kind of marry those two and actually really think about it as an investment. Uh, like you know, many companies, we have a, a roadmap for next 12 to 18 months. Uh, but we are also very, very focused on what are we going to do in next three months and six months to solve some of the immediate problems and how does that short term match to the long term? So I, I think that that's the very high level sort of process. But, you know, example for this is we want to make it very, very easy for guests to use payments and operators to actually get the value out of every transaction. So payment is a very huge uh, focus for us. It has been for the last couple of years and it would be uh, for next 12 to 18 months at least. And we really figure out how we actually make that you know, experience much better for guests, employees, and our operators. So just, just as a kind of team. Yeah, fill me in on that because that's, a, that's an interesting thing you said that because I, you know, when you're not in it, you often feel like, it's solved. Like you, you know what I mean? Like I'm not in the game of payments. So I think to myself, well, how can payments get better? I don't understand. I don't have a problem paying. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like I pay with my credit card. I pay with cash. I'm sure people are going to start being like, Hey, I need to be able to pay with, you know, crypto. I need to pay with, uh, some holding services like a, like a PayPal or a Venmo. I'm sure people are making requests all the time. Give us an idea of when you say payments, what do you mean? Yeah. Payments are payments constantly can be improved because it's one of the things where I'm sitting here like, I, I, don't, I don't have any problem paying. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, this is this is actually an interesting point about innovation is the moment we start seeing what's possible, 
you actually become dissatisfied with what has been working all along. So let me actually explain <laughs> to you where payments actually work well. So yes, I think the whole idea of taking a payment, cash, credit card, that, that actually has worked out well. Restaurants do a great job. Everybody, almost everybody I know actually does a good job. But that's not actually what we're focused on. For example, we have a product that we are launching and rolling it out to our customers and we call it one tap loyalty. And one tap loyalty, if there are some magical payment experiences, by the way, this is it. I will give you this sort of what, okay. what this sort of you know looks like because you can walk into a restaurant and use your Apple Watch or phone and through that you not only pay, you earn your loyalty points and if you have any points left, you can redeem your points all in one tap and you can be out. Now, the whole experience of this is, is so easy, so smooth that actually you have to really experience it to, to see the why I actually call it magical. And we worked with uh, Apple. Uh, we have a uh, partnership with Apple to roll it out, to work with them, uh, with the Apple Pay team. And it's a very Apple-like consumer experience that guests absolutely love. And the whole experience is, of course, I'm actually walking into a place like Salserita, which is a you know, Mexican cuisine chain. You want the taco or the burrito, but if you actually have this delightful experience of how you got it through the payment and you didn't even have to think about loyalty and you already got the points, and if you had points, you can use them, it really brings that uh, consumer very close to the brand. And that's what we are seeing. They come back, they actually consume uh, the product they already love, uh, and they, the overall experience is much more elevated. So that's the example of payment where we don't just think about the transaction, we think about how we can improve loyalty, redemption, earning, and the overall guest experience much, much better. Hey there, IT Visionaries listeners. It's time to supercharge your network with Zeo, the North American leader in modern network infrastructure. Zeo connects critical data centers across the United States, Canada, and Europe with high-capacity metro fiber and extensive long-haul dark fiber. Trusted by the world's most innovative companies, Zeo embodies what's next in networking. Discover Zeo's expansive network maps on their website and see where their network can take you. With low-latency, reliable 400G and 800G-enabled routes, it's the modern network solution you've been searching for. Visit Zayo's website today to unlock the power of your network and tap into the technologies of tomorrow. Go to zayo.com slash network right now. So the, when you describe that, because so I'll, I'll be fully transparent. I don't eat out enough, right? I'm not like a huge restaurant person, although I see you work with it. looks like some hotels and stuff, too. Um, but like uh, when I but the way you described it, it reminded me of um, flying. Or staying in a hotel where you are, you get to make a decision like, hey, am I going to pay cash? Am I going to pay credit? Am I going to pay points? Am I going to pay a combo? Like some people like paying with a combination and give themselves like a 30% discount, but they still want to earn rewards and all that other stuff. And you're saying you want to make it to like a single tap interface or possibly even some defaults. I'm sure like uh, you want to get it to the point where a customer can just set a default and be like, this is how I prefer to pay. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's very easy. You don't even have to think about it. And and. Think from a brand perspective, actually. The number one problem they have is to get more customers into their loyalty program because they know once you know the identity of a customer and they are part of the loyalty program, uh, the lifetime value of that customer is 500%. Yeah, just, just like the airline. It's like, just like airline. It's yeah. super, super valuable. <laughs> now, 
this is where uh, something like one tap loyalty comes in. Suppose you're actually not a customer not a loyal customer of a brand, but you go and actually use, uh, pick up the pizza, pick up burgers or the tacos. The first time you pay from Apple Pay, which you know we've seen a huge adoption of, it actually adds a little notification in your Apple wallet if you want to sign up for the loyalty program. And guess mm, what? So I don't have to make the decision right there. You don't there. have to make the decision. You can just actually not block the line, just kind of go. And guess <laughs> what? You don't have to download an app, you basically have your loyalty card sitting in the Apple wallet, so to speak. And next time you're visiting that uh, brand, it recognizes you're actually visiting that brand. You can pay, and if you have accumulated loyalty points, by that time you can redeem them too. So that's why it's actually so powerful because it actually onboards new customers into the loyalty program and creates so much more value for engagement from the brand perspective. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating. Yeah, the 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 amount of technological complexity that goes into simplicity is uh, <laughs> is pretty cool. Now, there's another thing that's happening at the, in the restaurant industry that you, I'm sure you're, or I don't know if it's a problem or not. It feels like a problem, but I don't know if you would agree that's a problem. Is the rise of third party services that are now possibly impacting the business. So if I'm the business and we make the food and we want a great experience for a customer, but it gets picked up by a third-party app, a Grubhub, an Uber Eats, a DoorDash, there's new challenges, right? Like I'm sure I got integrated. You got to integrate my inventory system. You got to integrate my payment system. You got to integrate, I don't know, something else that allows me to put the orders up, track the order. I don't know what's going on really. But I do know that a lot of the complaints is is part of that process, that, that process, like, right. Well, some people make complaints where they'll probably complain about the restaurant, but it's not really the restaurant's fault. It's the the driver's fault, or I don't know. It's a new thing. This didn't exist just a handful of years ago. How is that becoming something that the restaurants themselves want more integrations? Like they're telling you, Hey, yeah, I need this integrated. I don't want two separate systems uh, doing this. Yeah. So it's interesting. You, you mentioned, I think two points, and I think those are two different points. One is the challenges of integration and we can talk about it. I think with the rise of yeah. different systems and uh, complexity, especially in the larger chains, uh, integration is actually huge problem or an opportunity. But the second thing you mentioned is about the rise of the delivery service providers, the DSPs, the yeah. DoorDash, Uber Eats, uh, and Grubhub. Grubhub, and the likes, all right? of them. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, remember a few years ago, way, way, way back when the COVID was just starting. And that effectively changed the mindset of digital transformation from a nice to have to a must have for must. restaurants. Yeah, must. Yeah. And especially if you were a small business, uh, say one, two, five unit chain, it was very easy for you to start with a third party delivery service provider, the DSP, uh, to start taking orders online and you have the kitchen, you have some of the staff and you basically start delivering those. But I don't know if many people know uh, this, that uh, even though this is a very valuable service for brands, they pay for it. They pay even up to 20% or 30% of their check amount to the DSPs as part of getting that customer in and delivering that uh, food. So, and we work with all the DSPs, they're our partners, and I'm not suggesting that's actually a wrong uh, uh, point because they are delivering a very valuable service. But for many yeah. brands, you know, paying 20, 30% of your margin through the DSP is a challenge. 
And the other challenge is they never get the guest data directly to them. So they can't, they, they may not know this is Albert who's actually getting, consuming my food through DoorDash uh, because their relationship is probably with the delivery service provider, not necessarily with the brand, even though they are actually consuming that brand's food. So there is a, there's right. a complexity there, which, uh, uh, and, and that's where I think, uh, especially the bigger brands are trying to get that direct customer engagement. They are trying to even build their own first party delivery services like Domino's has their own uh, dispatch service. And we offer a service where if a brand wants to have their own delivery service, they can. If they want to use the delivery service for delivery after someone has come through their app, you know, they come to their app and they basically want to get delivered. They can actually do that through third party delivery service, etc. So we offer a lot of options there. And the idea here is we know that many brands want to build that direct engagement with their customers as opposed to going through DSPs, which was a necessity a couple of years ago, but may not be as much of a necessity going forward, especially as you think about growing your business. So that's, I think, one point where we we give tools to the brands to build that direct connection and, and give them effectively a very easy software as a service tool set that actually helps them scale as if they actually had a DSP. You're describing all this. I'm just thinking about, man, this is so complicated. Like it's just, it, you know what I mean? Like for me to, let's say, order a chicken sandwich, all these steps that have to happen. Let's, like if I were to order a chicken sandwich through an app, a delivery service provider app, it's got to show up in the order. It's got to show up in the inventory that one is down, that it's got to show up in the mar- accounting that the margin is paid. It's got to show up uh, in the consumer data. And then you have players that want to obfuscate or maybe more advanced, less advanced. Like there's always going to be introducing, there, this is not going to stop like to what your point, like this is we've forever transformed. I I'm old school. Uh, so like, the idea of paying five extra dollars for a meal is unacceptable to me. I won't do it. But like, I know that my like cousins who are in their twenties, they think it's no big deal. Like, they're just fine with it. I'm like, oh man, I, I can't. <laughs> and this won't stop because there's going to be other service part. Um, there's going to be another service provider someday coming up somewhere that's going to bring a new service that we never thought of. And it's going to add to the complexity. Yes. For sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. Power, power to them. I think it's a different consumers, different uh, expectations. I think the trick is to hide that complexity and simplify that complexity from the restaurant and also from the guest. Because at the end of the day, restaurant business is very simple. Restaurants are actually in business because they want to prepare food that their customers love. And everything else, I think, is really something we can help on from a technology and process and compliance and everything else perspective. In fact, our mission of the company is food, people, nothing in between. And we okay. do want to make it as easy as, you know, delivering your food, giving your food, making it available to your customers <laughs> without anything uh, that anything else that you should worry about. So give us an idea. How did you get in? Because when I when I hear about when I hear you talk about this stuff, I recognize fully that there's tons of technology that has to be tested. One of the things I think about is the tightness of margins in restaurants. Right. And so like they're going to want tight inventory controls, tight costing controls, tight everything. Like everything's got to be tight. They can't allow misorders, failed orders like you do to uh, double double process orders. Right. Every time you do that, it's going it, to it's potentially catastrophic. Right. They're, they're operating on the razor's edge. And then also 
you already said it, the restaurant industry, the hospitality industry is notoriously high turnover, right? A lot of staff goes through, so it's got to be easy to train. So like you also have to mitigate user error because that if I if I accidentally key or or take too many items, that's going to cost because restaurants were one of the only places, right? If I grab a food item and I throw it on the the grill, I probably can't, you know, some places I can sell it again, it'll eventually get bought, but other places it can't. It's a custom order. It's not going to get bought, right? It's not, this is not a, this is not a pen. I can't restock. <laughs> I can't restock food. Pens, I can restock. Give us an idea of like what you guys do to make sure these processes are as efficient as possible, because it just seems like you're playing in a, you're playing in a space that's high demand. Of course, there's a huge need for it, but it, like the errors, when you make errors, it's, it's, it's huge. Like it's a huge problem. So one of the beliefs we have is if you can solve a problem at a architecture or design level, you actually effectively solve 10 times, you know, of the pain, which may come at the production operations level. And, and mm. what I mean by that is we, we do really think about a shift left approach where you know, if you think about the product development process where you have design, architecture, code, test, uh, deploy and operate, you know, on the right hand side, we really want to think about how to uh, design the products and uh, services at the architecture level that are scalable in production, that are well tested, that are deployed uh, in a way that actually works for our customers and for the scale. So. As an example, uh, we do we have a, a dev environment where we do a lot of testing, functional, non-functional testing. We're doing uh, uh, load testing uh, to make sure the latency and availability of uh, the services is available for our customers. And then in the production environment, we also have uh, canaries where uh, we are probing our production environment for problems ourselves. So we discover our problems before customers discover them. Right, so so there is a sort of approach of uh, being very proactive in managing that experience and expecting that things will fail at multiple levels and being prepared first of all not to have them fail. So you architect, but you can only architect them in in a certain way. Uh, in the real world, things will fail, and when they fail, we reduce the mean time to resolution as much as possible through a number of uh, uh, DevSecOps uh, uh, techniques that we use. So. So really, I think th this is where I think a ton of uh, focus on how we can solve those complex problems by building and operating software that really, you know, not only scales, but really works uh, for the customers we are trying to make it work. Give me an idea how long features are in test before they ship to prod. You know, in some cases, I'm talking about maybe two weeks or so. So one sprint, we will uh, put them in pre-prod uh, we do the load testing, we do the, you know, other uh, performance testing, security testing, et cetera, and then we roll them out. And we roll them out, not necessarily every customer gets everything at the same time. We roll them out gradually. And in many cases, we actually develop some major architectural changes that are in uh, development and pre-production for months. And that's okay, mm -hmm. because I think those uh, complexities potentially create more risk further down the road. So we want to mitigate and identify those risks at the dev and test level before we move them to pre-prod or prod. Yeah. I'm just trying to think like, because uh, I see, of course, how many um, different companies are on your website uh, and I can do some homework. You're publicly traded. I, I get an idea of how many people are using your product. Give us an idea. 
how many transactions at lunchtime? I'm sure you have the number. I, I want to know how many transactions, how many orders are processed at lunchtime through the PAR system on a daily basis? <laughs> do, you have, do you have any idea of how many transactions are being run? I don't have the number of uh, that specific number, but actually I'm looking at a real-time uh, dashboard. Give me some Give me some stats on how, how active this product is. So I can tell you we're talking, uh, you know, one and a half billion transactions uh, annually. And we're talking about, uh, so, so the scale here is uh, in billions yeah. as opposed to, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions. And, uh, you know, we are effectively, you know, the volume of uh, payments, for example, just in last uh, few months since we launched payments, we've, we've done $5 billion of uh, uh, payment processing through PAR. So the scale, as you can imagine, we're working with some largest uh, chains uh, and it's a, it's a humongous scale. So to ensure things are working, you have to really orchestrate dev and test in such a way that leaves very little room for error. So I did. I did. Uh, I did some simple math. I did. Uh, you said uh, 1.5 billion annually. Yeah. Actually, I'll give you. I'll give you one more. Uh, so that is only from our point of sale system. On the loyalty <laughs> software. On the loyalty <laughs> software, we actually connect with 42 point of sale systems. One of them is the PAR wow. point of sale system. That's where we are processing five billion transactions a month. Five billion transactions Dude. a month on the loyalty uh, system, which is, you know, as I mentioned, three out of five. That's crazy. That that's three times more than your. Pro- you said you do one point five billion transactions a year in cash. Correct. And you do five billion a month in. Yeah. So sixty billion. Loyalty. So sixty billion uh, a year through our loyalty system because you know a lot of companies say they are open open platform <laughs> open you know web platform open standards but this is really gets to the core of uh, what it means to be a enterprise level open platform we are processing our loyalty program through all the possible point of sale systems that exist in the restaurant and convenience store industry and that's where we are integrated with 42 other point of sale systems. And that's why we are processing 60 billion transactions one year. One and a half billion okay. of those okay. are through <laughs> our point of sale system. So, so that's, that's, that's the difference. All right. So to give, an idea, to give our audience an idea, uh, let's not even talk about the, the 60 billion. Let's just talk about the $1.5 billion, transac- $1. transactions that are going through uh, PAR on an annual basis. That breaks down to, and if you divide by 365, then divide it by 12. I didn't divide by 24 because most businesses aren't open 24 hours a day. They're probably not even open 12 hours a day, but I'm just going to say 12 um, because, mo- you know, like certain hours, there's not a lot of order volume. That works out to 342,000 orders, 342,465 and change orders per hour for 12 straight hours. And that's not including their loyalty, which is actually substantially bigger. Loyalty, 5 billion transactions a month. Okay, Raju, I would say you've, you've in- engineered a pretty good system. I would say your uh, your testing has to be pretty much flawless. Uh, there's a lot of transactions going on. I mean, I want people to think about the level and scale that Par and Raju are dealing with. Let's say there's a bug that is double ordering. Just imagine 
just imagine, right? Like, you know, when you use an app or use the website and you get that spinning effect. And a lot of times there's like certain checkouts, like, Hey, only click it once. You might accidentally double order. But of course, if you double order at a restaurant, they're not going to, they're going to refund your second order, but they got to eat the food that they made for you. I mean, it would be an absolute catastrophe. This, this product, this is, this is like, this is why Raju and his team have to test so much to give us an idea of what he's dealing with. And uh, yeah, I can see why customers that are at scale need a, need a system like yours. (laughs) All right, Raju, super fascinating. The enterprise scope and scale of restaurant business is fascinating. So I got to ask, how did you how did you end up here? Did you already know the problem existed? Did you just say yes to a classified ad and just like kind of show up one day and we're working on some stuff? Give us an idea how you got involved in this industry and of course, how you became such a, you know, so knowledgeable in it really. So I joined PAR uh, through the acquisition of Punch, uh, which is uh, a loyalty uh, startup based in uh, San Francisco Bay Area. And before I was at Punch, uh, I had worked at some large companies like Microsoft and Salesforce for many years and also at startups. So I, I've really been fascinated by the engineering and product uh, scale. Uh, but through the Punch experience, uh, that gave me a very uh, big insight into the problems that restaurants have, particularly the enterprise, multi-chain, large restaurant chains. And then uh, having been part of uh, Power for the last couple of years, uh, that that scope now uh, is more than just loyalty, but really to to help uh, power customers solve their, you know, all the kind of uh, challenges, opportunities around point of sale, payments, back office, kitchen operations, uh, ordering, and of course, uh, loyalty also. So you got pulled into, you got acquired through loyalty, and then you've been learning about all these other operations. Give us an idea. Typically, when a bigger company acquires a smaller company, uh, you... It sounds like you have a lot of big company experience with Microsoft and Salesforce. Was there ever a point where you were just introduced to a problem? Like, wow, I've never solved a problem this big before. <laughs> do you remember what that was? Or or did you were you always like, hey, I know how to do this? <laughs> I absolutely have the humility to uh, to acknowledge that I think the problems <laughs> that we're solving at Power, uh, in many ways, uh, the horizontal SaaS companies, I would say Microsoft and Salesforce, for example, are horizontal SaaS companies they actually don't have the level of expertise or depth to solve the vertical SaaS problems that the restaurant industry has, because you really Mm -hmm. have to not just solve for uh, a restaurant cloud type of problem, but you have to make it work with the workflows, omni-channel experience, in-store, online, uh, through notification, through SMS, email, and uh, app notifications. So you really have to take a very holistic view. And and that level of complexity is is actually very unique to power and the scale is very unique. So I absolutely have been humbled, uh, but also it's exciting. I think it's 1% (laughs) better every day, uh, learning that experience and and working very closely with our customers who are pushing uh, the limits of our technology, what we provide to them is absolutely fun and exciting. So you, the way you just described it, and I'm thinking full circle to the top of the conversation when I, when you said, hey, when you buy, if you get a truly great experience, you will think it's like, you know, it's like nothing short of magic. Like they always say about good software, like good software should feel like it's almost magical to you. And I'm thinking about one chain in particular, and it's the only chains app I have on my phone. And they've made ordering so preposterously simple and the service is faster if you use the app. That's the number one reason why I use it. It's not, it's not even because I like the food. It's because it's one of the things my kids will eat. So I know that I can get it fast 
I, they've created a line specifically for the app. If anyone's listening, they're probably like, I can figure out who this is. This is like the level, I think, of service that probably um, a lot of operations, I mean, it's more than technology, right? The whole operation is designed this way. But like, that's that's what I think a lot of your, everyone wants to get to where the guest thinks that much, that highly of that business. And uh, like you've already kind of hinted at it. It's incredibly complex to make it that easy. <laughs> I don't want to play the guessing game, but I think I can guess uh, which which uh, company or companies you may be talking about. Here is the interesting part: whichever company you're thinking of, and I, I can I can guess which one it is. Uh, they probably have invested maybe tens or hundreds of millions of dollars of bespoke IT investment in building the stack that they actually have to deliver that magical experience. The difference for Par is that we want to bring that same level of value without having you invest in the old school way of kind of building your own bespoke custom stack. We deliver that through software as a service. Mm-hmm. So uh, the business model is very easy for you to consume. You can you know, change your mind. You can do something else afterwards. You have a lot of flexibility. And at the end of the day, you can, you can really focus on delivering that food and that experience that you know got you into the restaurant business in the first place. So I think that's the main difference here is if you were to do what this uh, brand that you're talking about at thousands and tens of thousands of brand scale, you really need a SaaS platform that we offer you. There you go. There you go. Raju, I want to say thank you for joining us today on the show. It was fun hearing about all the challenges that you attempt to solve. And, uh, you know, for anyone out there listening, it really is impressive the scale of which this business is operating and how challenging it really is to operate a multi-unit business with, like you said, the blend of franchises and corporate stores, mobile ordering, text ordering, email ordering, online ordering, in-store ordering. It all comes out of the same kitchen <laughs> and everyone is expecting the same. Everyone, no one expects any different. And, uh, and uh, oh, plus loyalty. And uh, it's a challenge. And I appreciate you doing it because uh, I've been there in a line when things don't work and uh, it's not fun. Great. Thank you, Albert. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Mm-hmm.